0: This is Recorded Future, inside security intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 208 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. The Institute for Security and Technology recently published a report titled Combating Ransomware, a Comprehensive Framework for Action, Key Recommendations from the Ransomware Task Force. In their words, the report details a comprehensive strategic framework for tackling the dramatically increasing and evolving threat of ransomware, a widespread form of cybercrime that in just a few years has become a serious national security threat and a public health and safety concern. Joining us to discuss the report is Philip Reiner, Chief Executive Officer at the Institute for Security and Technology. Stay with us.
1: I have really led a, a, a very circuitous path over the years. I, I began my, my career many, many years ago now as someone who was fundamentally focused on questions surrounding human behavior and, and why it is that, that people uh, do the things that they do to include engaging in things like warfare. I've been everything under the sun. I've been a school teacher. Um, I've been a chef. Um, I've been a gardener. Um, but I, I found myself sitting at Raytheon Company as a as a research assistant, supporting engineers in the space and airborne systems unit, and really needed to to get into the fray. And so I moved to Washington D.C., went to Johns Hopkins SICE, got a job eventually in the office of the Secretary of Defense for policy in the Pentagon, and was focusing primarily on regional issues, South Asia in particular, where I was. Responsible for helping make sure that nuclear weapons didn't fall into the hands of terrorists, uh, tackling everything under the sun that you can think of, and then was seconded over to the White House, where I was able to work. I had the amazing opportunity to work for President Obama for four years on the National Security Council staff. And in my final role, I was the senior director for South Asia, where I had responsibility for, for everything in our relationships with folks in the region, primarily India. and. Yeah had set up a cybersecurity dialogue with them, was working with them on nuclear energy policy, climate change, you name it. And so, have since achieved escape velocity and I'm back out here in California, (laughs) Uh, got got out of Washington, and uh, have been back here in California building the Institute for Security and Technology over the last few years.
0: Well, can you tell us about the IST? I mean, What is the the organization's uh, mission?
1: So the mission really at its core is to reimagine the think tank and provide trusted venues for technologists. So people who are actually building things and deploying them, providing venues for those folks to be able to engage with national security policymakers. And what we have found, and I think we all live this every day, is that at one time, policy really is what drove technological development. And that has very much been flipped on its head where technology is driving policy across a range of public policy challenges, right? Whether it's education, healthcare, you name it. But in the security space, it's so stark. And what we've discovered is there really aren't the venues where people can get together and have, you know, full-throated debate and have arguments where it's a trusted space where they can actually put ideas on the table. And so we've been building an institute with the core mission of trying to to cross-level that that sort of playing field.
0: How do you come at that problem? I mean, when we look at, uh, I think certainly the the current situation here in the states is one that is very divided. Uh, it's hard to have a conversation about anything, and yet uh, yep. these are serious issues that you all are taking on. So what
1: we have, what we've
0: found is, I mean, we're
1: a we're a five hundred one c three, so we're a nonprofit. We don't have anything driving us except for, quite honestly, altruistic intent. And we're we're a mix of of folks who are entrepreneurs and CEOs, folks who have built and sold companies, but also folks who have worked in the national security establishment. I mean, I've served at the Pentagon and at the White House. My board chair is a former Air Force officer. Um, We know both sides of the coin and we come at this really as strongly as we possibly can, as bipartisan, bicameral as possible, because our our stance if you will is that we can't solve these solutions if if folks remain in their stovepipes. And so we come into it pretty neutral and in doing so I think we're able to bring more people to the table.
0: How do you bring your message to the international stage when when we, certainly we have our allies but also our adversaries?
1: One of the real challenges here is is being able to state the case and yet continue a conversation. I think the you know, the skills that, that I was able to cultivate when I was working at the White House for President Obama to be able, for instance, to to sit down with our with our Pakistani counterparts and to very bluntly say, I'm interested in supporting your activities and your efforts to counter terrorism, to go after Al Qaeda, to go go after those who are targeting your state. But you need to stop harboring insurgents who are destabilizing the government in Kabul. And so there are means through which you can engage with international counterparts who may be adversarial in some ways, but who I think have a vested interest in getting ahead of these similar challenges. They're they're not safe from cybercrime. They're not safe from these sorts of online threats. I think they have a vested interest in directing them elsewhere, but I think they also have a direct uh, vested interest in maintaining their ability to function within international structures to include financial systems. And so there's means through which you can have pretty I don't know, open, honest conversations, even with, with adversaries, but you have to have carrots and sticks brought into the equation.
0: Where does the U.S. sit right now in, in terms of being able to deliver that message to the rest of the world? Are we Do we enjoy a position of being on a, I don't know, for lack of a better word, a moral high ground when it comes to these issues? I think the
1: the united states it's got its its fair share of responsibilities in my opinion where we have such immense resources and such immense technical capability and such immense still today i am convinced of this such immense value that we bring to a conversation that people want us there they want us to help drive towards solutions there are reasons why there are folks who are, you know, they have pause as to activities perhaps the United States government engages in. There needs to be a level of transparency there um, to be able to have that kind of a conversation. But I do think that, you know, the U.S. is still uniquely positioned to be able to help lead some of these conversations and particularly looking at the ransomware discussion. I think there are others who are who are interested in partnering up with the U.S. to to collaboratively get after that. That's what we heard through all of our discussions, whether it's with the Australians, the Dutch, uh, the Brits, um, others, I think the Canadians, the Israelis, the, the Indians, I think folks definitely could use someone who's willing to step forward and help lead such an international effort. And I think the United States remains uniquely positioned to do so.
0: Let's dig into some, uh, some specifics together. Um, you and your team at the IST recently uh, put out uh, a publication called "Combating Ransomware: uh, A Comprehensive Framework for Action." Key recommendations from the Ransomware Task Force. Um, what prompted the creation of, of this study? So we found ourselves last fall
1: watching and listening to all of our colleagues and you know the folks in in, in the infosec community just scrambling as, as this almost tidal wave of attacks was starting to hit the healthcare industry. And as we were really seeing ransomware hitting every sector, you know, you're talking about manufacturing and logistics, but now, now you're seeing it hit uh, hospitals and educational institutions. And it struck us that, you know, with our experience having sat at the White House, for example, and seen what needs and could be brought to bear on, on a problem like this, the question was, why Why hasn't someone pulled together everyone who has a stake in this and figured out a more comprehensive approach? And so we started reaching out to, to friends and colleagues, both in the in the nonprofit civil society sector, but in industry, but also in government. And so we started talking to folks at GCA and, and CTA, folks at Microsoft and Rapid7, Palo Alto networks, reaching out to FBI, DHS and elsewhere and saying, look, is there anything happening that we're not aware of that's already doing this? And very you know, resoundingly, the answer was no. Hmm. And pretty clearly, everyone throughout the ecosystem, and, and it came together fast too, because you know how challenging this problem is. We, I mean, we had over 60 organizations come together as part of this effort. And I think one of the really remarkable things to note is sometimes when you try to do one of these cross-sectoral collaborative efforts, it's a little bit more painful to get people to show up. Right. You gotta, yeah, you gotta, you gotta work through a legal process or you gotta, you gotta fight to figure out who the right person, that was not an issue here at all. Hmm. Um, and you had people who are in direct competition with each other on a, on a business side, on the business side of things that all got put aside. And I think very quickly, we were able to get a lo- very large group of people together who all see different pieces of the elephant, right? And if you're able to get those folks together and you can put ideas on the table, all of a sudden somebody who sits over on the incident response side is hearing about some of the legal challenges or the policy challenges that other people are dealing with and vice versa. Now you're starting to get different kinds of thinking going. And so that's that's what the intent was from the outset. And I think that's what we saw happen.
0: Well, one of the things that you include in the report here at the outset is, is your priority recommendations. Can you take us through those? Or what are some of the highlights here?
1: Top line priority recommendation is that there needs to be a greater level of international, but also national level coordinated action here. That if things continue to operate the way that they are, this problem is only going to get worse. And if you don't have a a whole of government approach to this, where you've got not just, for instance, the Department of Justice doing everything that it can and the Department of Homeland Security doing everything that it can, if they're not cross leveling, if they're not working toward a precise, clearly laid out set of targets, you're working across purposes. And we heard this throughout the ecosystem, both on the public and private sides. And so the top line recommendation here is that there needs to be a coordinated strategy put in place that actually brings to bear all tools of national power on this problem. And that means legislative, that means the executive branch, that means law enforcement, it means financial, it means diplomatic, All of those things need to be worked in tandem or else you're not really going to see the change that's necessary. The other recommendations go down further into the weeds on various pieces of what we think really needs to happen. More information, more clearly disseminated in much more concise formats to those who are actually trying to protect themselves and get ready for this sort of attack. There needs to be greater uh, clarity on what the decision process should and could be for, say, an executive who's faced with this challenge of making the decision as to whether or not to pay a ransom. What tools do they have available to them to help make that decision? But also above and beyond that, this question of do you pay is one that we really, really struggled with um, in the task force to try and figure out how to make a recommendation on this. And I think the, the sense amongst the group was you can't impose that on the victims, you know, without having put more things in place first to, to help them out. Hmm. And so you'll see, a range of recommendations there in that top five, uh, but also throughout the rest of the report that actually creates, potentially creates over the course of a period of time, two to three years, the environment in which you can maybe move toward being able to prohibit payment for ransom. <laughs> so you find yourself in a situation where for perhaps the there are funds that are available through uh, federal sources that can help backstop a uh, company that's trying to ride out an attack. You can get tools to people to actually help them shore up their actual security posture now, well ahead of actually getting targeted. All of those things mixed together to be able to move toward, you, you gotta see the cyber insurance market mature. You need mm-hmm. to see the crypto, the cryptocurrency ecosystem. I think a lot of what's been in the news out there is that we're recommending, you know, in greater levels of regulation. Well, what we're really recommending is greater levels of enforcement of existing regulation. I don't think that anyone really on the task force was like, look, crypto's a bad thing. We hate the blockchain. That wasn't the sense at all. It was, these are amazing technologies. There are gaps in the way that things are being enforced and that can be improved. And that'll help kind of choke off some of the ability of these bad guys to get to the cash that they're so, that they're so intent on the end of the day, all of these things have to be done in tandem though, if you're really going to see a difference.
0: As you were going through the process of putting together this report, you know, doing the research, you know, as you say, the, a lot of this was outreach. Was Were there any things that came to your attention where you, you thought you and your the folks who were involved with you thought to yourselves, you know, this is low-hanging fruit. You're left scratching your head. Why aren't we already doing this? You know, are there, are there easy things that uh, simply haven't been done yet? I think there's there's a real – an important point
1: to make here, which is there, there's a lot of things that are already being done. And mm. and those things need to continue. I think those things, whether you're working in private industry, um, going, going after folks and trying to stop their ability to get after uh, small and medium sized businesses, or you're working at, for instance, at CIS, CISA at, at, in DHS, where you're helping get the word out about the tools that are available to people. I think in large part, what we found was There isn't a tremendous amount of low hanging fruit here. I think what needs Hmm. to happen is there needs to be a greater level of prioritization of this problem if you're going to see a change. And what that necessitates, what that results in, is a greater level of resources that are being applied against the problem as well. So I think you see this in the announcement that came out of the Department of Justice just a couple of weeks ago, right, right actually about the same time that we put out our report, where they said that they're going to essentially across the department, reprioritize ransomware as one of their top issues. And what does that really mean? It means more people, but it also means more resources dedicated against the problem. There's agents who are out there who do this every day, but they work in select offices and there's very few of them. The same thing we found as we did our work exists. That same problem exists at Treasury. So for folks who work in FinCEN or OFAC. There's not very many of them, and they don't have uh, the ability, for instance, because they're so, um, I think, overwhelmed, to be quite honest. There's not enough people offense fence in to be responsive enough uh, on a time-sensitive basis to be able to help people actually respond on the timeframes, for instance, that ransom is being demanded. So if you're actually going to see change, you need to take some of the stuff that exists, you need to ratchet it up, and you need to, uh, to better coordinate it and resource it.
0: You know, there's that old, uh, I don't know, chestnut of a saying that, you know, if you and I are being chased by a bear, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. <laughs> um, how, much, how much do we feel a global responsibility here? In other words, yeah. uh, we could just make the United States be an unattractive place for ransomware folks and they move on to other nations. Um, but my sense here is that that's not enough for what you're trying to accomplish here.
1: I think at the core of it, one of the, th- the themes that we were were very insistent upon was this is not an American problem. It's a mm-hmm. it's, it's a it's a global problem. It's an international problem, and you're not going to solve it even if you do start to try to fire a wall off the United States from these sorts of attacks. I will say, you know, it goes without any doubt that the United States is by far the the largest um, target, right? Because of the the scale of systems that we have that are connected, but also the scale of systems that we have that are connected, that are not very well secured. And so just the suggestion that you'll be able to solve it on the US side while not worrying about the rest of everybody else, thats it's actually, it's infeasible. I don't, I don't see a situation in which you can just wall us off from the infrastructure, for instance, that allows for these actors to be uh, engaging in these activities. You have to be working with international partners to be able to go after their infrastructure to go after the actors themselves. I think one of the things that you'll hear from folks in in the operational community, if no one's actually going after these people themselves and actually getting to them, you're not really going to see a change. And so that is something that um, cannot solely be done by America alone. And I think uh, in order to get after that, you have to be able to go after and let's say you're you're incapable of being able to actually get at those people because they exist in these safe havens.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So take away their infrastructure, lock them out of the financial system. There are other things that you can do in order to put the the the, the pinch on these guys. That can't just be the United States alone, though. So e- even if you were to suggest that the U.S. can try and do this on its own, you really you you can't. Um, it has to be a collaborative international effort.
0: It also strikes me that um, you know, cybersecurity and, and ransomware in particular is, is one of the, the few precious remaining things that is truly enjoying bipartisan support. You know there, there, is, there isn't anyone uh, yeah. in Congress who comes out against it.
1: I think that, is, that is, has very much borne true when you look at the things that have come through the cyber secu- uh, solarium. I think that is something that we have encountered in our conversations with congressional staff on both sides, minority majority on committees and who, and who work directly for members. the need here right is for both the executive and the legislative branches, at least here in the United States to seize upon this and resource it. And I think you're right. I think it is a bi, uh, bicameral bipartisan issue. Really the the, the need is, is in making sure that the resources are there so that people can actually take the actions necessary to blunt the trajectory of this problem.
0: Do you have any sense for what a realistic timeline might be? If, yeah. if we're looking at a, a global effort to combat ransomware, how long could something like that take? I think uh, one of the
1: most important things to note up front is that there is no silver bullet here. You're not going to solve ransomware, you're never going to get rid of ransomware. But what you can see is if you were to actually implement a good percentage of these recommendations, in tandem and some of them you can you can actually do pretty quick we would assert i think the task force and the co-chairs concurred on this is you could see a a shift in the trajectory of these kinds of attacks in 12 months time Mm -hmm. that you could realistically see a, a change if you were to implement some of the steps that we've recommended it has to be i think this is really important though too those steps have to be taken in tandem If you do parts of it it'll help but only at a much lower scale, and I don't think you'll see that that real sea change that we're trying to push for.
0: And and the signals that are coming out of the Biden administration are they encouraging? Quite encouraging. I think the um, the the
1: way that I think about this as someone who's kind of lived through multiple administrations firsthand, they're still staffing up. They're still getting their people in place. They've got their cabinet secretaries. They're starting to put in the deputies. They're still putting folks like the the woman who's been nominated. Uh, to run CISA, uh, Jen Easterly still going through the confirmation process. Chris Inglis mm. going to come in as the NCD, hopefully still going through the process of getting into the into the administration. So, all of that being said, yes, I think that the signals have been extremely positive. I think you see, you know, the Secretary of Homeland Security focusing on this as a high priority for the department. Lisa Monaco has made very clear that this is a priority for the Department of Justice. I think uh, the White House has made very clear that they're actually going to be standing up their own effort on this front. So, yeah, all all signals are that the administration is going to be taking this very seriously.
0: Our thanks to Philip Reiner from the Institute for Security and Technology for joining us. The report is titled Combating Ransomware, a Comprehensive Framework for Action, Key Recommendations from the Ransomware Task Force. Do check it out. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>